About two weeks ago, I offered a sermon on the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Some of you remember it word for word, right? I only bring it up because those parables begin a whole series of stories that end with today's parable. Jesus has been teaching the crowds about the cost of discipleship, and he interrupts himself and tells a story about building a tower. It is, I believe, an invitation to consider the ways that following Jesus will change our lives. But now the tax collectors and sinners are beginning to draw close to Jesus. This isn't a problem for Jesus. It's a problem for the Pharisees, the Pharisees who are very concerned about the law and about what they will be exposed to and how the people that they come in contact with might impede their relationship with the Holy One. They appear to be concerned about Jesus, but they are really concerned about themselves. A sinner is likely impure and not right with God. And so by coming close to them, Jesus risks his own purity. And you can see how this would create a ripple effect that would be never-ending. Right? All of those who then come in contact with Jesus then become impure, and it just goes on and on and on. And the Pharisees do not want to be alienated from God because they are with the wrong people, yet they want to be close to Jesus. They have to weigh the risk. Now, I have some empathy for the Pharisees, right? They want to be close to Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus. And Jesus is pretty clear that it's all a bit risky. How do we do both? How do we draw close to the Holy One and yet somehow remain faithful to what we've always known? Jesus also has empathy for them. Jesus knows that change, change is hard, good, bad, whatever it may be. But the advantage, though, is the joy of coming close to God. Jesus wants to invite us close And for that joy to be so strong that it's worth whatever cost it may have. And so Jesus tells the crowd and us five stories. Four of them are back to back. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son and his brother, and the shrewd manager. Now I want us to know these parables so well that you're already bored in today's sermon. I want you to be thinking, yes, yes, Amy, yes, yes, Demo, we know, we know, blah, 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 the diligent searches of the shepherd and the woman and the sheep and the coin, we got it, we got it. I want our imaginations to be full of the prodigal son. I want us to remember that pigsty and the way the son was ready to grovel from his father and the way his father raised him up off his knees and threw a big party roasting the fatted calf. I want our hearts to still be wondering about that shrewd manager and the way Jesus commended him. I want us to be close to these stories because the gospel commends us to hear them all at once, all together. No weekdays in between, back to back. Because somehow, and for some reason, they are linked together. 
ending, culminating with the rich man and Lazarus. Now, when Jesus comes to the end of today's parable, the Pharisees begin to ridicule him. Why? So glad you asked. Because they love money. Might have been helpful for them to hear that letter from 1 Timothy this morning, wouldn't it? Maybe would have taken the edge off a little bit. Jesus, again, is empathetic towards them. He recognizes that they're in a bond, that they're weighing the risk of following Jesus, coming close through him, and letting go of everything they've known before. And so Jesus invites them to consider how God is more than what they've ever known. So here comes today's parable. It's a hard story, a bit of a conundrum, and as I listened to Deb read it again today, I thought, I still don't think I understand it. There's a lot to consider. And I want to start with the easiest piece, Lazarus. Lazarus is the only character in a parable that is named. Now, we might begin to think about Lazarus from the Gospel of John, the one who's raised from the dead, and maybe perhaps that is the same person. Well, what matters is the name. In Hebrew, Lazarus is Eleazar, and it means God is my help. Lazarus never speaks, never acts, and yet unlike the rich man, he is named and bound to God, bound to Abraham. God is my help. The main character of the story, though, is nameless. Could be any one of us, perhaps. I find that every time I read this story, the first round through, I get really judgmental of the rich man. It only takes me about an ellipsis to recognize myself in him. I mean, how often do I drive by my neighbor right there at the corner of Broadway and 630? How often do I drive by my neighbor? Or even walk on the other side of the road because the person coming towards me makes me nervous and uncomfortable. I have my reasons, I think to myself. I can justify myself. And in the context of the gospel, Jesus is telling all of these stories in response to the Pharisees' justification of themselves. Now, perhaps this parable is an invitation to reconsider the things that the Pharisees have always known, the meaning of the Moses and the prophets. Or perhaps the gospel is preparing the listeners, preparing us for what we know is coming, which is Jesus' resurrection. We might wonder if we connect more with the rich man or with Lazarus. We might wonder what the parable teaches us about our relationship with God and our neighbor. But let's not forget that this parable is the culmination of five stories that Jesus tells. Arthur's having a hard time. We're going to pray for his family. You're doing great. What happens when we link 
all five parables together. We might try to divide them into categories, right? Like lost and found, joy and celebration, reconciliation and discipleship. It would be so easy to take them apart and hear them separately. But I wonder how when we take them all together, how do they influence our understanding of the nature of God and of the way of Jesus? The end of this section is actually a teaching from Jesus about stumbling blocks, things that get in the way. And he warns his followers to watch out for them, but also to not become them. It is an invitation, I believe, to faithfulness. Following Jesus isn't easy. It requires some diligence and consistency and attention, attention to our lives and our neighbors. We might ask ourselves, are we looking for the things and the people who are lost? Are we rejoicing when mercy reigns? Do we notice and respond to the pain and poverty of our neighbors? Are we governed by the way things are or by a commitment to God's mercy and grace? Every time I hear the story of the rich man in Lazarus, the image that comes to my mind is of Lazarus laying on the threshold of the rich man's home. The rich man, in my imagination, has to literally step over a body on his doorstep. Day after day after day. This same threshold, to me, then becomes that chasm that chasm between them that can never be crossed. Now take that image and compare it to the shepherd and the woman who are diligently searching for the lost. Or consider for a moment the brother who is jealous of his father's mercy for the prodigal. Even the manager is commended by his shrewdness in relationships. To me, it is the rich man who stands out, unaware of his connection to his neighbor. He loses every opportunity for mercy and compassion and joy. Mercy, compassion, and joy. These are at the heart of Jesus' life and his way, and they are the heart of discipleship. This is the way of Christ, and when we attend to them, they may cost us something, and they will change us. When we attend to mercy and compassion and joy in our lives, we begin to discover God's reconciling love and grace for each one of us. And they become our ministry. Jesus empowers us, empowers us to search for the lost, to rejoice in reconciliation, and to care for one another.
in this way, in the way of mercy and compassion and joy, we will, we will draw close to God and God's kingdom will be very near to us.